0: If you're studying for the CISSP, CCSP, or CISM certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the Wanna Practice app at wannapractice.com. Hundreds of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, all in a simple interactive format which you can access through any device with a browser. Check out the show notes for a discount code for half off the regular price. Wanna practice. Success in certification is in your hands. Welcome to another episode of the Sensuous Sounds
1: of Infosec,
0: where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliseau. And I'm Matt Snotty.
1: And I'm Rafael Fiedler.
0: And this week, um, we don't have time to do our, our sponsor message. We have so many current events that that Matt has brought to the table, Matt. <laughs> Why don't you step us through these things? Uh, there's a lot of meat here, and uh, uh, I, I don't know if we got all the time in the world. So go for it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, and I've not done a huge deep dive on all these. But, yeah, th- just a few things that have, that have been going on recently. Um, so the first one was an article that came out from Brian Krebs on the last pass breach that occurred last week or uh, last year, rather. Um, and we've talked about it, uh, I think when it when it occurred, but apparently, um, it's coming to light, uh, or, or at least people are surmising that, um, these, these hashed and salted passwords are starting to be cracked. So this, this database, uh, of, of passwords, um, given enough time and enough effort, uh, uh, you know, any secure password can be, be broken and, um, People are starting to uh, uh, see things that that appear to be related to uh, the, the whole LastPass breach, and in particular, it appears to be a targeting cryptocurrency wallets. So people that that had kept their uh, cryptocurrency wallets, their, their Bitcoin wallet passwords, and their LastPass account, um, those are the the primary targets. Um, no hard data on this being the the true root cause of of these accounts being hacked, but um, it's it's more than coincidental, and so that's what the uh, uh, the story is about what you got, Rob? and As a
1: reminder, the reason why they have maybe an easier time on going about those passwords was because the domains, I think, were not encrypted. So the passwords were encrypted, but they knew what the password belongs to through oh. association. Like if right. you're if you're half like they, something they weren't
0: like- they weren't blindly using credentials on every service available. They knew this credential, once I decrypt it, can be used for this service.
1: Yep. They can also target if it's like just some random website they don't care about. They don't have they, they can't ignore it and they can focus resources on stuff like cryptocurrency wallets and stuff like that. Something mm-hmm.
0: that's yeah. going to be valuable, something that's going to yeah. yield yeah. them something, something of value. Um, exactly. And that's why I love when somebody breaks a password manager or a credential manager of some sort. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, <laughs> unlike unlike in movies where you brute force the thing in the 12 second scene of, you know, someone acquiring the target Um, brute force of a decent or at least decently complex password in a large enough key space is going to take some time to crack. Uh, No matter how big your CPU is, no matter how much power you bring to it, but it will eventually be cracked um, just by using all the keys on the key ring. Eventually, you'll get there. Um, I find this really amusing in a horrible way. This is like <laughs> this is like driving by the car accident and rubbernecking on the, on the freeway.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, You've always got to be careful because every time you think, well, I'm glad it wasn't me, <laughs> then guess what? You might be the next one up on the prices right to have yours compromised.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and realistically, you know, I, I'm not blaming the victim. It's very important to say. But when we get notification that something like LastPass has been popped, the first thing everybody should do that has ever used LastPass is go ahead and change their credentials again. Yeah. And that's—it's uh, annoying. It's difficult. It's cumbersome. Not everyone gets the knowledge. We're inundated with information. There's plenty of people who probably don't even know that LastPass was was cracked. So, I, again, it's hard. It's tough. Uh, I, I I don't blame the victims. I don't blame LastPass per se, even though they could have done things better. Um but those criminals—they are industrious, they are patient, and they are—they're fairly clever. Happen to love Krebs? I don't know your 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 opinions mm-hmm. on Krebs. Yeah, yeah.
2: No, I think that yeah, he, he he's a fantastic reporter, and he he usually does all of his due diligence whenever he brings a story to light. So,
1: and of course, as a recommendation, if you have proper two-factor authentication, like not just TOTP inside LastPass. I don't know if they offered this, but many password managers now do. But if you actually have it somewhere else, the second factor, like the time-based one-time password, then they cannot do anything with that password. So of course, changing it would still be recommended, but a proper second factor is a protection in those cases as well. So
0: agree, I think
1: I talked about this on a show as well. I have, I have um, TOTP enabled on everything, but I have mine in multiple tiers and the low hanging fruit, I don't care about the most like, maybe out, I'm outing myself here, but I think my Reddit account, um, I don't store the second factor outside my password manager. So this is in there. If my password, the, the password manager of my choosing ever gets hacked, um, they they need to decrypt both of those things and then they can access my, my Reddit account if I have not changed the password first. But yeah,
0: <laughs> excellent stuff has YubiKey the other thing i (laughs) like about krebs in particular is not only is extremely knowledgeable on this stuff and not only does he do the due diligence but he takes pains to not be alarmist yeah um which which is you know we've talked a couple episodes back matt you brought up fud you know fear uncertainty uh and uh uh, Doubt. doubt thank you um he avoids using that in an exploitative manner uh, in his content, and I think that is extremely huge because way, way too many writers in our space leverage that to get clicks. Yeah, um, and I find that on but but Krebs doesn't. Great, great. Okay, well that one's fascinating. Thank you. Take us, take us to the next one, Matt. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, I gotta click over to my next window. Um... Uh, the next one that I found. Um, so I've got college age kids. Uh, one goes to the University of Louisville. Uh, You're two old. old. University of Kentucky, <laughs> but the University of Michigan. So this is back to school season. Um, everybody's uh, kids that are college age are going back to school. Uh, University of Michigan. Uh, first day of classes, or the day before classes were scheduled to start, took all of its campus Wi-Fi offline. Uh, for at the time, an indeterminate period of time, the, the uh, it's all been restored now. And the actual downtime was about between three and four days. Um, University of Michigan has been very tight lipped as to the reason for why they took all their Wi-Fi down, because this is a big deal. The college students, I don't know if you've been to a modern college campus, Wi-Fi is pervasive. Everything is online. Uh, kids don't take notes on pencils and paper like we did back in the day, Ben. Um, everything is on a laptop. Everything is Internet centered. So having Wi-Fi is very important to students. Well, it was offline for four days. Uh, uh, as, as I said, Michigan, has U, uh, U of M, uh, I UM, I don't know how you <laughs> abbreviate it, hasn't come out and said it, but um, uh, several security experts have been analyzing what's been going on with them. And basically the, the consensus is, uh, again, this is unverified by the university itself, is that um, a breach was thwarted mid uh, occurrence. So something was occurring, something was happening, uh, that was related to their Wi-Fi that, um, they needed to basically do a wipe and reset of everything related to their, to their Wi-Fi, uh, networks. Uh, and, and it took them several days to, to, to get to that point. So, um, it kind of came onto my radar because, um, this is this is what we have security professionals for this is what we you know it's 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 a hard pill to swallow if you're a student and be like ah eh, well i'm out you know i don't have internet for four days but at the same time we don't know what the bigger picture was and what you know uh, you know if it was it money that was on the line was it personal information that was on the line was there other things that could have been seriously damaging uh to the university that that was was then cut off at the knees um and so that's uh, the story that, that I saw on that. And there's been several several articles, you know, uh, again, most of these news articles are not based on the cybersecurity side of it. They're based on the, um, you know, the impact of the students and all that kind of stuff. But there's some pretty good uh, uh, industry experts, security experts that have, that have kind of analyzed it. Um, Saying that that yeah it was something where it, it was a it was an active threat and they caught it in time before it did any serious damage.
0: Let me ask you all this because I think you know my stance on transparency. Um, is there is there a good security reason to delay for four days um, any explanation or? Uh, sharing of knowledge about such things. Um, Do you think that's a good approach? Did the university handle the communications properly? Not whether they handled the breach or the attack properly, but did they handle the communications properly?
2: I, I, I think so. Because you don't want to, as, as again, as we you know have said, we you you don't want to spread fud. You don't want to for people to be alarmist and you don't want to to speak publicly from a a, a stance of ignorance. if you don't have the information, Don't don't speculate. (laughs) And and I
0: think I think we've said that before, too. I mentioned the the Tylenol and Johnson and Johnson response from the 1980s. Uh, It's you never have the right answer in 24 hours. You're always going to say something wrong or stupid. Uh, And it's best to come out and say, hey, you know, we're addressing this thing. We don't know exactly what it is or what the extent is, but we will let you know and give you updates as it comes to it. Now, it seems in this situation, the thing that made it particularly unusual is they didn't even do that. The university just didn't address it and hasn't made any public statements at all, which is probably going to an extreme. I mean, that might be going (laughs) because what that does is it allows for speculation and, and fomenting conspiracy theories and all kinds of crap like that. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and sometimes you just have to suck it up and live with a certain amount of that. There, you, you can't control what other people are going to say about your actions. Um, yeah, maybe they should have said something, but at the same time, if it's an active investigation and it's it's a true threat that's that's occurring, um, yeah, you, your your focus is on mitigating whatever that that was, and less on the communications. You know, there's a uh, an old saying in the aviation community. Um, you know you, you, you uh, any type of incident you get into in an airplane your order of priority is always aviate navigate communicate always top a number one aviate fly the fly the airplane b is navigate figure out where you are where you're going to go and stuff like that and then the last thing is always communicate in other words air traffic control other airplanes they can you know they'll 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 do without you communicating you have got to make sure that you don't crash your airplane or fly the wrong direction or, or something like that so communication is always the last thing on the on the checklist
0: yeah you know I, and i've I've heard that when when I was going through my my uh rudimentary training in an aircraft but you know what else I also learned communication takes almost no time and can <laughs> be done can be done concurrently with the other operation of the vehicle and realistically a part of almost every in-flight emergency checklist is, declare the emergency let the tower. as soon as you let the tower know they're going to clear the runway they're going to give you priority they're going to let the they're going to you know de-conflict all the other air traffic around you and it takes almost no time to just say you know tail number i'm in trouble that's it that's all you have to say and boom everybody's gonna respond accordingly um and i think In our realm, because you can't crash a Wi-Fi into a building, (laughs) I, I think the fact that we are in the communications field, that we're dealing with information, it behooves us to at least step out in front and give that little statement. We're dealing with a situation. We don't know quite what it is yet. We will let you know more. That, again, there will be speculation even based on that. But at least you're acknowledging publicly that you're doing something. And and then people will will accommodate. Um, oddly, the other news that I heard related to the University of Michigan last week is uh, they also made a new COVID policy. Now this is this year. This is 2023. This is one week ago. Okay. And, and they've said that any student who is found to be infected with COVID and an active infection will be forced to leave campus. And be isolated for a certain amount of time. From hmm. a security perspective, do I do either of you foresee any issues with such a policy or approach?
2: <laughs> I can see a lot of pissed off parents that are <laughs> going to <laughs> renege on their tuition payments. Okay, <laughs> that's <laughs>
0: one. That's off. one. I see a much more basic one myself. Right. Go ahead. Uh, if I know I'm going to be kicked off campus, if I am found to be infected, what is my incentive then if I suspect I'm infected?
2: Uh, I, you're not gonna get tested.
0: I'm not gonna get tested. I'm not gonna to go to the clinic. I'm not gonna take any measures that may indicate I'm infected because it is not in my best interest to do so. Um, so unfortunately, I, again, this is, from a security perspective, You. You're going to get a consequence. You're going to get a result that is quite opposite of what your intention was. Um, so, and and I don't think anyone really thought that one through, which is amazing to me because it's a university where it's a lot of people who are supposed to think smart. You know.
1: So you think they should not have been as transparent and should communicate less and just send the people home as <laughs> No, 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 no. If
0: if you can foresee, if you can foresee that that's the result. There's another way to approach the same outcome. If, if isolation is what you want, you, I, and again, I'm not a university administrator. I'm not even a, 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 a health sciences professional. Off the top of my head, I, I would say, hey, if you're found to have an active infection, we're going to isolate you in this dormitory. You will get full access to your classes and education via remote access. and." At least for his temporary period of time, you will be accommodated separately from the rest of the student body. You're still getting the same outcome, which is isolating the sickies. Right? But you're not driving people away or making them engage in subterfuge to continue taking their education. Right? And that's just off the top of my head. That's just, you know, and there's probably other approaches as well.
2: And to be fair, during the pandemic, especially in 21, as classes were starting to come back, so everything, you know, all these uh, schools closed down during the actual pandemic proper. But then about a year later, they started coming back. That, That approach that you mentioned, Ben, that was actually what was being done at a lot of universities, University of Kentucky in particular. Yeah, isolate the student in their dorm room or move them to a separate dorm room or something like that, have their meals brought to them, all that kind of stuff. Um, It's
0: it's simple, low-hanging fruit. And realistically, you're talking about the population, the demographic with some of the least medical impact due to infection anyway. I mean, you're talking about a low, it's not a nursing home, you know, so I mean.
2: (laughs) By and large, college kids are pretty healthy. (laughs) Right.
0: You know, and if you're going to go for an overabundance of caution. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now that leads us to the very next topic that has to do with remote learning.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. so uh, you ever heard of a little body called the United Nations?
0: They um, (laughs) I think they have a comic book. Is that (laughs) that them?
2: Um, So the United Nations apparently has started doing some studies, among other uh, uh, bodies of uh, uh, major importance, Uh, But doing studies about uh, the effects of the pandemic, and one of the particular things the UN studied was the effects of tele-learning, remote learning on um, various countries, not just the United States, not just European countries, all the countries of the world. um, And how uh, basically remote learning worked out during the pandemic. And the UN has basically come to the conclusion let me pull up the, uh, uh, the exact wording, uh, dependence on tech caused staggering education inequality, which is basically a nice way of saying, yeah, remote learning sucked and it failed all of our students and it failed the teachers and it failed the schools. And (laughs) it was, it, it was a big problem. So basically if you were from a wealthy area, uh, wealthy students, they could afford good internet and good computing devices. Um, you did okay. Or you did better, but uh, the, the vast majority of, of uh, the areas that they looked at were were underfunded, had had poor infrastructure in place, poor technology, and it just didn't work for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I know about this um, from some teachers in Austria who I know. Who also said it's not just the technology because at least around here the teachers try to if they really did not have any like laptops or something they organize stuff but um, it was also the parents um, some parents who are just less. Typically, those parents who are not that well educated also had troubles getting their kids to learn and to actually pay attention and stuff. And like in those online classrooms, um, apparently it was not normal for everybody to have the camera on. And of course, as soon as the camera is off and that kid has (laughs) a switch or something, that kid is not paying attention to class playing on and the so, phone, watching TV. Yep. Exactly. So many things, so many, yeah, things. it's not just yeah. that, but yeah, so many gaps and many different things. And sometimes, um, some teachers who had, because it's not just money, but it's, as far as, as you shared, it was an tech caused the the inequality. Some of the very best teachers who are older, um, did not know their way around tech either. And yeah. so then <laughs> the the thing, like, you're muted and stuff like that, and teachers just <laughs> by accident, and, and kids just had their fun with them. And um, yeah. all of the authority was gone of those yes. older teachers who, who, are, who know their stuff.
0: As in most things, I'm going to disagree vehemently with the U.N. Now, I, again, I, you know, they're talking about this specific time frame, but then trying to extrapolate it to the general case. And that fails for so many reasons, Um, mainly because of what Rafty just said. Uh, It's not a true test of distance learning because the the implementation was a surprise. It wasn't real planning, it wasn't real preparation. There was none of that. It was throwing everyone into the deep end of the pool and expecting them to be Olympic divers. It doesn't work that way. Uh, I happen to be a huge proponent of distance learning because that's what I do for my job. (laughs) <laughs> and I think it works pretty damn well, except you have to accommodate. It's a, I've taught in the classroom, and I have taught with distance learning, and the two are very different animals. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I specifically structure my classes differently than most other delivery mechanisms to accommodate this. First of all, I trim my classes to between one and two hours in length. Because that's about as much time as even an adult can pay attention. Now, if you ever try to sit a 10-year-old in a chair and lecture them for eight hours, you're going to realize they are not designed. That The human animal is not designed for that purpose. Nope. So you're going to get different results. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. All the other things that you guys mentioned, the disparity in knowledge of tech, uh, uh, ill-prepared for usage in the delivery, the, the parents not being able to accommodate. There are so many other things going on there. I would love to see a true apples to apples comparison of distance learning to classroom learning. I think I'm fairly convinced that distance learning would be far superior in so many ways. And that's even before taking out the externalities of a kid can't get in a car crash if they're studying at home. You know, the bus (laughs) has to go back and forth. The, The environmental impact. Of vehicles going to and from schools every day, the physical plant costs, the fact that the kid can get stabbed or molested in a school setting where if they're at home, the only people going to do that to them are their immediate family. So, hopefully the chances are decreased. Uh, there are so many other externalities, even before the education comes into play that I think remote learning could be beneficial Mm -hmm. comparing it to the COVID emergency remote learning is not only apples to oranges. It's apples to golden retrievers. It's just, you, you can't extrapolate from that. Um, but I am sure I am sure that the impact was significant and I am, I am quite convinced that the learning was affected in a negative way for a long time to come. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah I, yeah I don't think that we've seen the last of of the effects of the pandemic on on the generation that was in school um, because yeah as, as I said my, you know I've got three kids in college now but they were in high school during the pandemic in fact um, uh, my son uh, uh, pneumatic Charlie the one who was on here before um, didn't didn't have a graduation because it was was, I was uh, just
0: about to say prom must have sucked.
2: <laughs> it, it, uh, he was uh, due to graduate 2021. Um, no, he was, he was 20, he was a 2020 graduate. Um, so yeah. So, so his graduation completely canceled altogether. I mean, and... it's bad
0: enough having to hold your date at arm's length on the dance floor. If you have to be six feet away, that's, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to get the job done in that regard. That's uh <laughs>
2: But, yeah, I think we're going to see the effects of that for a long time to come. And, and yeah, I agree with you, Ben. I think that it, it, it can be done in the right way. Uh, and, and the situation was just not conducive to that right way being done. And so we saw things like shortages of Chromebooks, um, people rushing to get, uh, you know, high-speed Internet in their house. You know, what if you've never had high-speed Internet uh, and you, you were still on some old DSL or if you were in a rural community or something hey, like
0: that? Hey, speaking of which… What's the next current event? Yeah.
2: <laughs> that was a nice segue. <laughs> That's a
0: very good segue, Matt.
2: Lead us there, please. So, uh, another news article that came up. Um, apparently, there's a program. I have not done any research into this. It's a it's a White House program, which I know Ben, you love. You didn't. Uh, you about. didn't
0: have to do any research, Matt, because we've talked about it on previous episodes. Robin and I talked about this okay. when it was first proposed, like a year oh. and a half ago. Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, The Internet for All program, Um, (laughs) a White House government program to get Internet for all, for everyone, even people in rural areas, Uh, which if you're in the United States, you know, you're probably well aware. Uh, A lot of people live in cities, but uh, uh, right about 50 percent live out in rural areas also, which is why we have such a politically disparate climate right now. Uh, The rural areas need internet, internet too. And as someone who grew up in Appalachia, grew up on the side of a mountain in eastern Kentucky, I can tell you I have firsthand knowledge of what living in a rural area is like (laughs) and the things that you live without. (laughs) We had well water uh, for the first uh, uh, several years of, uh, of my life. I actually remember you saying this, so maybe it
0: wasn't even me and Robin Tye. It may have been me and you talking about it. <laughs> you, br- you brought up your hillbilly background yeah. explicitly <laughs> in this discussion. But please continue. Yes. Please continue.
2: So the Internet for All program, um, as we know everybody needs internet. I mean, it basically comes down to do you see internet uh, as a utility that needs to be guaranteed to everyone, much like running water or electricity or something like that. And if you agree that the internet is a, a requirement in modern uh, living, well, we need to have programs to make sure that we can get it to all the people in rural or outlying areas that wouldn't normally have access to it. Do Do you? Do you need programs for that?
0: And I think this is where we came down on that.
2: (laughs) Right. Do we, do we rely on, do you know where I'm
0: going with, do you know where I'm going with
2: this, Matt? Because what does
0: the article say about the cost of resolving this disparity through a white house program?
2: (laughs) So the white house program um, is that they, they did a study on the Winnebago tribe in Nebraska Um, which has about, I'm looking for the number it's, it's, it's less than like 500 households. Um, and it was going to cost, oh gosh, I can't find the actual number. It was millions and millions of dollars to get the basically
0: $53,000
2: per home per home. Yes. To but drag
0: he, T1, T3 fiber out to the junction and then to wire each house and so forth, right? The fact that
2: you call it T1 and T3 is just so charming because that hasn't been a term for a long time now.
0: <laughs> whatever, whatever pipe they're going yeah, yeah,
2: they they to use, yeah,
0: they have to physically bring it out there, right? Yep, yep. yep. and And is it government cable that they're dragging? Is it, is it owned by the feds? Uh, probably not. No. How does the fed go about <laughs> doing this when they do it? What did they, what did they do with this 53,000 per household?
2: I, uh, I'm sure that, you know, and I don't, so please, they paid, they paid telcos okay to yeah. drag it. The reason that
0: those remote and rural entities don't have this stuff is not because we hate hillbillies. Or, or Native Americans it's it's it wasn't racism against appalachia um it was because uh, there was no market driver there was no profitability mm-hmm. if it cost you fifty three thousand dollars to drag the the cable out there how long would it take the teleco to recoup that investment right right
2: and and, and, the, so and probably never
0: right and and yeah. what the white and what the White House said is look we'll we'll subsidize that to get it out there now. With that said, do you remember what I mentioned in our last conversation about this?
2: I'm sure it was probably something disparaging and, and you know, to let the, the marketplace of uh, ideas and, and capitalism take its course and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah.
0: I said that a Starlink connection oh, yeah, costs yeah. Cost $500 for the initial investment. And then, what is it, 25 bucks a month in perpetuity or something like that? I,
2: I, I, I don't know.
0: And it's not that I'm necessarily endorsing Starlink as the end-all be-all. What I'm saying is the, the technology is catching up to resolve this problem in a way that would cost no tax dollars whatsoever. And even, even if we did want to subsidize those people, even if we wanted to make sure that the hillbillies could stream their porn like the rest of us, <laughs> we could just do the initial $500 per household. Which is several orders of magnitude less than the fifty-three thousand that were subsidizing telcos, which are antiquated anyway in their approach and and have very little uh, incentive for innovation into what will quickly be an obsolete medium. If Starlink and other providers are going to be able to offer high speed without the physical infrastructure that doesn't need maintenance doesn't need, you know, uh, to be weatherproofed, doesn't need to have easements to dig up the roads and people's yards and whatever. If it's all going to be wireless or satellite based and can still provide that same thing to the rural uh, customer, why are we subsidizing telcos with tax money for something that's instantly going to be outdated?
2: Is, Is it going to be instantly outdated? I think that you're being a little bit aggressive with that. Um, because I have fiber in my house.
0: Yeah, you do now because it was easy for you and cost you close to nothing, right? Well, yeah,
2: yeah, because of where I live is you're in a metropolitan area, right, 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 right. But, but, but I'm I'm saying that as it's, uh, it's it's not obsolete technology to have a you know hardwired that's not based on satellite Wi-Fi something something related to you know Starlink or or a similar technology it's not a bad thing to have a, a hard line either either copper or fiber optic line you get higher higher throughput it,
0: it's not obsolete right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> but when they announced the program a year and a half ago they ignored the fact that there were other delivery mechanisms because those other delivery mechanisms are novel mm-hmm Not that satellite is novel itself per se, but the ability to reach a global audience in a cost-effective manner with uh, commensurate quality to the wired alternatives, that is novel. And, you know, for us to go ahead and invest in this is sort of like saying, well, you know what we're going to do for you, Appalachia? We're finally going to bring you properly paved buggy pathways. (laughs) so that you can get your horse and cart back and forth to your house just like them folks in the big city Uh, and again Uh reliant on physical plant is uh, not only a a huge upfront capital investment it's a long-term maintenance and operational pain in the ass right um be, yeah yeah satellite comms don't get broken because of natural disasters or because of construction right um that's that's not a thing per se. The worst thing you have to do is replace your own dish. but I think I think the $500 upfront cost means if your dish breaks, you're going to get another one. Um, so again, <laughs> it, 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 we're already seeing inordinate amounts of payment for and and I agree with you. I think the disparity in technology, is indicative of uh, leaving people behind in a modern society for the educational reasons we just talked about for everything from from banking to remote work to entertainment i think we do need to have an egalitarian communications network uh this is just the wrong way to go about it um for fifty three thousand dollars, we might as well just give them a down payment in a house close to a metropolitan area (laughs)
1: <laughs> well maybe you didn't want them closer there but um <laughs> yeah. the, the question that i would have is um how do they get electricity at the moment like don't they
0: I'm i don't just like... know i don't know about the native american tribe that matt is discussing but in nevada where where i lived for a decade the native american tribes were very clever in that they did not need to follow the same Uh, environmental impact requirements and regulation that non-reservation land did. So they made contracts with the power companies in Nevada, and they got free electricity to all their homes because they allowed a power plant to be built on their reservation. They had better power and free power in perpetuity (laughs) for exactly that reason.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, but so there is an electricity, like, I, I I would assume. Yes, that the they,
0: don't in they, they, they don't live in wigwams. No, 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 but I assume that the power plant has internet
1: anymore. access. This is what I would assume. And there needs to be a physical, uh, like, wire from that power plant to each home already. What I don't understand is why they can't just, like, the next time something happens, just shoot a fiber um, line next to it, you know? like fiber is is I'm not, fairly I'm easy not su-
0: i'm not sure you're familiar with the size of the united states i mean i mean <laughs> see, I, see, I do seriously i do understand the issue dragging that line is a very very big deal and yeah. and even for the electrification program that we had in this country um last century that was a pain in the ass. Um,
1: I understand. but like you already have pipes going to each house. like the the internet grid and the electricity grid basically can overlap to a hundred percent. um at least as, so for Austria, we have like our basically every energy provider, like the big ones, also provide internet because, When they do maintenance, they always uh, for the last two decades or something, just have some uh, just some empty pipes right next to the power lines Mm -hmm. um, so they can shoot fiber through it afterwards.
0: Well, we're not you're not talking about economies of scale here. Seriously, I mean, even just dragging wire next to or concurrent with the wire that already exists from a physical standpoint, you're talking about thousands of tons of material. Just to repeat that same line. Matt, am I am I wrong yeah. here? I mean,
2: no, no, is... no, 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 no. I, I agree with you completely. Um, okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it, it's not that simple. And and on top of that, uh, I wanted to add that uh, uh, power companies, uh, water and sewage companies, um, uh, you know, all, all these companies are all. They're not cooperative. (laughs) Yeah, I can assume. If you have a power pole, and if you're the electric company, you set up a power pole, and the cable company comes along and says, "Hey, can we hang our cable on your power pole?" The default answer is going to be no, absolutely not. Now, if you come to them and say, can I lease some space on your power pole, then yes, you can, (laughs) you you can pay a fee. But if you're the cable company and you decide to staple your cable to that power pole without getting clearance or paying money to anybody, you're going to have that cable cut, ripped off. (laughs) Which is,
0: which (laughs) is, which makes sense because there's additional liability now. If some other service is using your infrastructure, you become responsible for it. And and, and I can totally understand that. and, And it all makes a lot of sense. Uh, and add on to that that the power company is different than the municipality. In in my small town, they just repaved one of the roads um, that was still destroyed from Ida two years ago, uh, the the hurricane that came through. And while they were doing it, they did not take the extra additional step of burying the power lines along that street. There's still telephone poles, uh, and not telephone but power poles, and. And, you know, everyone's asking the question is, you've got the trench. <laughs> why, not, why not just put the, the cable in? And the answer is because the road department, which is a municipal function, is not part of the power company and nobody turned and asked the power company, "Hey, why we got the trench open, would you like to lay your cables down and we'll give you the free easement?" It just they don't even communicate with each other. Nope. Um yeah. And, and so it's a thing. Now if we want to bury the power, we got to dig the road back up and start again. <laughs> but again, you're talking about no. a scale thing. And one of the other externalities that we aren't even looking at with that 53,000 per household dragging fiber or whatever you want to call it, Matt, what's the additional cost now? to someone who wants to do an infrastructure project of a new campus because of the market impact of the government subsidizing the telcos of buying up all this glass line now raising the overall yard by yard price of that material what does that do to everybody else who wants to do capital investment for their uh development for them to create jobs for them to increase their business and so forth um so there's a whole bunch of follow-on costs too and Mm -hmm. and you know, the White House, I've been seeing the White House on Twitter patting themselves on the back with this program. And it, what they've done is instead hampered development and set everybody back a couple of decades. Um, pretty ugly. You can't, you can't grant tech by fiat. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, now, on to the one topic I brought to today's party, uh, a discussion of defense in depth. Um, Matt, did did you ever, did you went and got your CISSP just for giggles, right? Yes. You didn't need it for anything for your job or anything.
2: Didn't need it. (laughs) Didn't want it. Joey dared me and I did it. And you did it. And just to show
0: him up and make (laughs) it feel bad. Um, uh, can you describe the concept of defense in depth?
2: Oh, that's a good question because that, you know, aside from CISSP, that's something as a security professional or anyone in it has dealt with that concept for, for, or should, or
0: should. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: Which means that you don't defend a target with just a single uh, method of defense. You always have layers of defense so that if someone gets past the cheap and easy, one that's usually on the perimeter, then you have a more expensive and more complicated one a little bit further in and a little bit more expensive and more complicated one even further in so that uh, any attacker has to get through multiple layers to actually get to their target.
0: And and I'll go one step further. When I teach it, I say not only multiple controls, multiple different types of controls, right? And they're overlapping; they're not just concentric, right? Yeah. Um, That way, what what we are doing is making the attacker's life difficult, where they in their toolbox they don't just have physical uh, counter tools; they don't have just logical. Attack tools, they need to bring their whole toolkit with everything in it so that it's very difficult for them to get to the cheese, right? <laughs> um, yep. So, when defense in depth fails, it I, I think you brought this up. This is a few months back, and we made the Jurassic Park corollary that, um. You know, in, in a world with infinite possibilities, no matter how many layers you put on something, at some point, everything's going to line up. just. Cr- oh, it was the Swiss cheese concept yeah. with the <laughs> aircraft safety. Yeah, um, yeah. Everything no. will line up at some point to allow the bad thing to occur. So you also need to plan how to address when the bad thing occurs, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Danello Cavalcante. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing... His name correctly or not, but I don't think he's much deserving of uh, respect for pronunciation. Uh, He was a prisoner at a prison in Pennsylvania.
2: Convicted murderer, right? He was. He he, 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 actually. He was a convicted
0: murderer and a suspected multiple murderer. (laughs) Just an all-around delightful chum,
2: huh? (laughs) But just the one conviction is plenty for me.
0: (laughs) And and, and the particular murder that he was convicted of, I find entirely gruesome. Uh, He stabbed his girlfriend to death, stabbing her 38 times in front of her two young children. Ooh, I didn't read that part. What a great neighbor, huh? So... Uh, yeah. And this was after a year and a half of emotional and psychological and physical abuse that he heaped on this girlfriend. And the reason it finally came to the stabbing, evidently, is she had recently found out that he was suspected of murder in his native Brazil, which is why he fled to the U.S. (laughs) And she was threatening to turn him in if he wouldn't stop harassing her. And so he stabbed her. So Danello was in prison, rightfully so, where he belonged. Decided he didn't want to be in prison. Now, prison's one of those things that we all know from TV and movies is supposed to have good defense in depth. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, just off the tops of your heads, can you name some of the security features you might find in a prison? Barbed wire excellent
2: yep. bar wire razor wire uh big expansive right. lawns so that you have to cross vast areas of space guard yep. towers locks on doors yep. jail high walls.
0: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> security Church cameras lights, uh staggered yep. patrols bars locked doors on yeah. and on and on right uh, yeah.
1: yeah movement detection systems of course
0: absolutely I, and, and we have I hope everywhere now Right? Again? How about infrared, ultraviolet? You know, we've got yeah. we got all sorts of high tech shit, right? <laughs> yeah, Danella, Danella was able to overcome all of these and get out of prison. Wow. And wow. Um, do and, we you know how? Think, yes, <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> okay. I, okay. I, I shared a link uh, among our ourselves here. Um, we actually have footage of Danello leaving prison. Because among their many other security controls, the prison did have some cameras. And they have been open and communicative enough to share some of this footage with the public. First of all, Danello was out in the yard, as they say, in the normal exercise period with his fellow inmates when he began his process of leaving. And... Uh, Matt, do you want to describe the, the first step?
2: <laughs> and anyone that's had a child that has stood in a, in a doorway and put their arms and their legs on either side of the door jamb and shimmied up the door. That's essentially what he did. He did a crab walk where he was able to wedge himself between two facing walls, put his hands on one wall, his feet on the other wall and back himself upwards, vertically up and over the wall.
0: And at the top of the wall, there was razor tape. Good defense and depth, right? Yeah, not <laughs> sufficient razor tape because he was able to squirm himself through it. <laughs> then he he crossed the roof of the building um, down to the far side of the wall on the other side of the building and leave prison that way. This is where your defense and depth starts to fail. The building should not be near the perimeter wall, the wall should be sufficiently distant, right? Mm-hmm. The other failing, the big failing, that to all credit to the prison, they've been pretty open with this stuff. I, I This is the one thing I'll give credit to the prison for. Um, the guard that was supposed to be observing the inmates had a lapse, and this was human error, did not see him leave the company of the other prisoners and go into the blind corner where the adjoining walls could be crab walked um so the guard has been put on administrative leave and maybe maybe rightfully so um so again defense in depth is not magical uh, a determined human being given proper motivation and incentive and time will be able to circumvent a lot of it. So you need to really have all of those Swiss cheese holes staggered in such a way that it's very, very hard for them to line up. Danello did not seem to be a particularly smart individual, at least in in my regard. Maybe, maybe I'm un- maybe I'm underestimating him. Like <laughs> the prison did. Um but if he was able to do this and he's you know he was not an Olympic sprinter or anything like that. He just did something in a determined fashion. Um then those controls are insufficient. And somebody should have figured that out way ahead of time. Again, I don't design prisons the same way I don't, um, you know, uh, uh, go ahead, Rafty.
1: Yeah, but how did he figure that out? I mean, in the first right. piece.
0: Right. How did he figure it out? And, I think it was a large part of why, luck. Yes. Yeah. I think it was opportunistic in in many regards. Um, but and To uh, be fair,
2: this was a holding prison. This wasn't his permanent prison that he was assigned to this was he he was in this pr- prison for a period of time as the paperwork was being done and so he was going to be moving on and transferring to the to his permanent location so this was just a temporary. That's correct.
0: That's correct. And 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 we've seen this before historically is that a lot of the times the lesser security of the detainment facilities prior to arriving at prison are exploited by prisoner uh, um famously <laughs> ted bundy escaped um uh, a jail in, I think, Utah, while he was being held pre-trial. Uh, and, and and this has happened over and over again. Um, which does not mean that every holding cell in America needs to be a maximum security facility. It just means that <laughs> we need to pay extra attention to those things. Now, in terms of more defense in depth, there was an extra additional layer. The response layer for someone did get out and again to pennsylvania's credit they did mobilize a very significant police search presence to go out and find him. they set up a perimeter and blah 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 this is where controls continued to fail um it's middle of summer in the united states particularly hot summer this year and a lot of the controls that they were using such as dogs tend to not endure very well over long periods of time in hot weather. They also learned that heat
1: detectors
0: (laughs) don't really work all that well when the ambient temperature is the same as human body temperature. (laughs) So, yeah, that was a major failing, and it seemed like they were reliant on that and probably shouldn't have been.
2: If you were, if you were, in other words, if you were the predator and you were hunting this person with his infrared <laughs> human heat signature, it would, it would just be a red screen. <laughs> which always, which always confused me because, you know, they're in Central
0: America, you know, <laughs> how does the, how does the predator recognize humanity versus, you know, just the jungle? It's, 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 um, I think it was a little more than heat. I think there had to be something else at the pre- predator had some pretty good tech, I gotta say. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I found that interesting. They still have not captured this
2: individual. Yeah, um, but he he's been sighted by people. Uh, and yeah, he was sighted by a trail camera as well, right? A ring doorbell as well. He oh, went no.
0: to he went to a former friend's house to ask for assistance, <laughs> and the friend caught him on the ring doorbell with his uh his new look, his new clothes, his oh, freshly shaven face, and uh um and, and the friend to the friend's credit made those photographs available to law enforcement and the public.
2: Now, as we so, discussed, maybe law enforcement yeah. could, <laughs> could just sign into could it, could extract <laughs> those from Amazon, you know,
0: just by requesting it.
1: And maybe he was just scared that they would do that. So
0: I think, you know, honestly, law enforcement, in order to make that request, has to know that the doorbell has that imagery. They didn't even know that they that the escaped convict had gone to the friend's house. Um, so I, I give, again, I give credit to the friend for stepping forward. Um, the friend did not answer the door, did not respond, did not let him in. Um, I think after you stab a couple people to death, your (laughs) friends start to dry up as, as well they should, (laughs) not the kind of person you want to invite into your home. Um, I sincerely hope they catch this individual very quickly. Uh, he does pose a significant threat to health and human safety. Um, please, if you're in those areas, I think he was captured in Virginia originally, so he does travel. He has stolen a van, uh, um, uh, which he's left behind and probably found another vehicle. Just be on the lookout. Be aware. And, um, yeah, this is, uh, this is an ugly situation where Defense In-Depth did not magically solve the problem. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else? Anything else we wanted to, to drill down on?
2: I don't think so right.
0: Matt I want to thank you for bringing the bulk of the content to this week's show well you know I feel like I've
2: been slacking for the past several years so <laughs> <laughs> it was time to finally step up and and contribute so
0: outstanding well you've done you've done your job we give we give you credit for uh this month's quota how's that <laughs> all
2: right sounds good
0: <laughs> you could slack off for another month awesome. uh, okay. yes okay. I look forward good. to it. <laughs> Rofty any updates on safing
2: no
1: not at the moment
0: okay um quick update want to practice uh the app is uh still available in the uh, Google Play Store for Android users. We're going to get to iOS as soon as we can, but Apple's making us jump through a bit more hoops. Still available via the browser on any device that has an Internet connection, including uh, Native American reservations in Nebraska. So um, <laughs> go ahead and, and join us at wantapractice.com. We have expanded uh, to uh, co- uh, uh, covering CISM and SSCP material. We will be expanding very soon to CISA study material, and hopefully in the next few months, C risk material brought to us by our new partnership with Larry Greenblatt of InterNetworkDefense.com. Uh, so we're very happy to have that additional material and cover that many more certs.
2: Um, Great. All
0: right, uh, until next time, I'm Ben Maliso.
2: I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Rafael Fita.
0: Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec.
2: Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized interested in training for CISSP CCSP CISM SSCP CCSK boy that's a lot of letters or other InfoSec certifications go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com that's spelled W-A-N-N-A B-E-A C-I-S-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel WannaBe CISSP. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old fashioned email to Ben at BenMaliso.com. You may hear a shout out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S A F I N G dot I O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com. And listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at TopicofChoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash s s o i underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience.